think it's literally baked into the culture in both faith cultures and larger societal cultures for women um, that we are we're supposed to be small, you know, I mean, physically, right. Even on a physical level, women are taught women. It is communicated in every way. I'm born. Be skinny, be little, be tiny, uh, be nice. <laughs> don't be, don't say things that are going to rock the boat. Um, don't like, don't, don't mess with all of this stuff. Like just stay in your lane, take care of the people, do the things. And that is a very small way to live. And I think that when there's an invitation to like something else, it's like there's, there is this um, voice within us that is like screaming. Yes. I want more. I, I want to be more. I want to do more. I am dying in this smallness. And that is no one wins when we play small man or woman. Well, hey, welcome to another episode of the Pastors Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Latham, where we give practical roadmap for rising leaders to thrive in life and leadership. I'm super excited to share this conversation with April today. She is a former youth pastor, a coach, traveling speaker, mom, just all around fantastic human being. And uh, April, so excited for this conversation. Thanks for being here with us. Yes. I always love a good conversation with another good human. So thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, okay. So let's jump back. You've done a few different things, um, you know, youth pastoring, speaking, that kind of stuff. So just kind of give us a little bit of that overview. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Oh my gosh. So we established right before we hit record, we're the same age. And so my gosh, I have now been in some form of leadership for over 25 years, which feels impossibly long. <laughs> How am I that old? But I was in local church pastoral ministry for 17 years at two different churches um, and did everything from youth pastor. Well, actually started as an intern, as most of us do, and then several different kind of roles in youth ministry and ended up in an executive pastor role. Before I left uh, local church ministry world, and that's been almost nine years, which is also wild. Time flies, especially the older you get. And the last, well, so right after leaving church worlds, um, spent five years or so doing a bunch of consultancy work. You and I shared in that space for a while with a couple of different organizations that I did primarily um, coaching and speaking and some consulting work with. And four years ago, I started my own business. And so I am now a CEO and founder of a company and having a blast. I feel like I am in the best, sweetest spot that I've ever been vocationally. And it's really, really fun. Okay. So you jumped out and took this huge risk to start your own thing. Um, and mm -hmm. it's called the Azer and Co. And what what what's what's the name there uh talk to us about why you chose that name and kind of what that means yeah so azer and co i never would have imagined that i would have started a company for one and then two i never would have imagined i'd start a company that was primarily focused on women um 
the name Azer, it's actually tattooed on my arm here. I don't know if you can see that. That's commitment. Reversal. Yes, this has been here for a solid decade. So this was way before I started um, my business. But Azer is a Hebrew word, and it's taken from the Old Testament, where we see it 21 times in the Old Testament. Twice it's used in Genesis 2 when God calls woman in Azer. 16 times it's used to describe God. And in Genesis 2, a lot of times that word azer is defined or described or translated as helper or helpmate. Um, but the 16 times it's used to describe God, that word is translated as warrior, rescuer, strong helper, face-to-face deliverer. So I grew up hearing that I was a helper and a helpmate, which was made to put me in my place. And to uh, to really train me that my highest responsibility and calling and role was to be a wife and a mother, which that word has actually little, little to nothing to do in the Hebrew translation. And when I learned that that word is used to describe God, it was it totally changed everything that I thought about who I was created to be and what I was created to do in the world. Um, obviously, I am. We are created in the Imago Day, and it it. It just spun that word on its head. So in starting Azer & Co., it was a call back to the beginning and to who women have been created to be from the very beginning of time and to remind us that we are not to be subjugated or in exclusive supportive roles or to be put down in any sort of way, but we are actually created to be in partnership with men and to reflect the image of God in the unique ways that we've been created. So. That's where the name came about. And, um, you know, we're actually not a Christian company. Um, it's certainly got some deep faith roots and everything because I, of who I am and being a Jesus person myself, all of what we do is, is embedded and soaked in those truths. But really part of even choosing the, the word and the name Azer was that it, it is for all women, you know, regardless of your faith, your beliefs, your backgrounds, your experience to theology or the church. This is who we've all been created to be. And so let's do I love it. So, okay, so you're talking to women primarily. Obviously, you do stuff with men as well, we talked about. And you're even uh, developing that side even a little bit more. But um, warrior woman as opposed to not just the servant side. So, I mean, what does that warrior woman look like? Um, I, I know you, you have these six dimensions about it, but even more than that, just kind of high level, what does that warrior woman look like? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's because of the word Azer, right? It's like one of the translations within the Old Testament from the Hebrew is warrior. And when I think about women, that's how I tend to think about who women are. I mean, the, the ability to bring life into this world. I mean, that is like freaking warrior. <laughs> ability to grow someone, something in your, in your human body and then to evacuate them. I mean, it is that that's like full on warrior status. Um, but that we are, we are created to fight for good and for justice and for wholeness and for love and for truth. That is that is the fight. Um, it is is the fight for all of those things, both for ourselves and for um, the people that we love and for this world. And so, again, I, I want to remind women like that's 
your design. That's your identity is, is you're created to fight for all of those things for yourself and for others. And so, um, but all of that is so, so many times active. when we look at those things, I think, I don't know, for me, when I hear a lot of those things, it's like this passive soft, like, well, like I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm a, I'm a, these things, but I love that you're taking like this more like, man, you're fight, like you're a warrior mom, like you're a yeah. warrior, yeah. you know, it's like you're, and yeah. it's not this like retreating image, mm -hmm. it's more mm -hmm. of like a, 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 mm -hmm. a, on the edge of your seat, I, I just love that imagery, yeah. it's so cool. Yep, yep, I do too, and women that we work with do as well, it's a, it feels like it is so empowering. It, it calls out so much more instead of this like shrinking back, playing small, hiding, mm. shirking. It, it's like a, no, I'm going to stand fully in who I've been created to be and what I've been made to do in this world. And I'm going to fight for this stuff with everything that I am, you know, just as a mama fights for her baby cubs, right? Or, you know, you, you fight for something that you believe in because it matters and because it is, it is for good. That's the kind of kind of warrior spirit that I see in women every day. And I want to call out more of it because when we see women fight for that kind of stuff, good things happen. So why do you think it is that more women or even really men are playing it safe and not, and they are kind of in this retreat mode or this kind of passive mm -hmm. mode as opposed to this, mm -hmm you know, uh, a warrior mindset and playing it big yeah. and going, why, why do you feel like there's so many, I mean, you coach a lot of them, right? So I'm sure you're getting way deep in there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's, is it like imposter syndrome? And what, what are those things that are kind of holding us back from playing it small? Yeah. I mean, I think it's literally baked into the culture in both faith cultures and larger societal cultures for women um, that we are, we're supposed to be small, you know, I mean, physically, right. Even on a physical level, women are taught women. It is communicated in every way, shape, form. be skinny, be little, be tiny, uh, be nice. <laughs> don't be, don't say things that are going to rock the boat. Um, don't like, don't, don't mess with all of this stuff. Like just stay in your lane, take care of the people, do the things. And that is a very small way to live. And I think that when there's an invitation to like something else, it's like there's, there is this um, voice within us that is like screaming, yes, I want more. I, I want to be more. I want to do more. I am dying in this smallness. And that is no one wins when we play small, man or woman. No one wins. Um, but yeah, I think it is taught to us from a very young age that that is how we are to participate in this life. So I'm just calling BS on it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I mean, give me some encouragement here. How do I, how do I get out of that mindset? How do I break free of, I mean, that, that that's tough, right? Like you've been taught yeah. that you've been screamed at that. So, I mean, what's, what's some of that process there for me to kind of, break free of that and start thinking, playing it big, you know, what's that? Yeah. I, I think there's a couple of things that can be done. One is that where there is a resonance that I may be playing small mm. to acknowledge and own that, um, to, to simply be in agreement that this is how I am currently living and it is not how I've been created. Because the only place that transformation begins is by where you start right now. 
And so I think that that's incredibly important is like that really ruthless honesty with yourself of going like, oh, yeah, I have been playing small. I have been not living fully into my potential. I have been hiding. I have been excuse making. Um, I have been playing it safe. And the acknowledgement of that is the beginning of the truth setting you free. So I think you start there. And then I think that, you know, there is confession and or there's healing and confession. So you got to find a couple of people that will say, I see you and will listen and, and honor the fact that you are and have been playing small. And I think it does a huge disservice if you tell somebody else like, hey, I think I've been playing small. And they come back to you and be like, no, you haven't been playing small. You look at all these things that you've done. Like that's co-signing on somebody's bullshit. Instead of going, instead of listening and going, oh, that may look big to you, or that may look big to me, how you're living. But in reality, that's what you're saying is not true for you. Um, quick diversion. About 10 years ago, I was working with my coach and it was in, it was in like a coaching intensive environment. And he was asking some questions around how fully do you feel like you are living into your potential? And it was the clearest thing in the world to me when he said, what percentage do you feel like you're living into your potential? And instantaneously, 60% is what came up for me. And there was this rise of emotion inside of me, like anger, sadness. I mean, I mean, I almost like burst into tears. It was, it was like, Every cell in my body felt like it came alive with the acknowledgement of that 60% and shame of like, oh my gosh, 40% is mm-hmm. like, I'm, un, I'm not living into that. Like there were, there was so much. And, and yet, I mean, at that point in time, I was traveling the country speaking. I had written a book. I had run a, a half marathon. I was training for a half marathon at that point. I had three small children under the age of five. I was executive pastor at our church. Like there was a lot that other people could have said like, oh, you, no way 60%. And my coach stood next to me in that moment. And I, I did break down. I had like a massive, tearful outburst. And, and he said, well, what's it going to take for you to live at 70? And it was, it became so clear to me. It was, there were things that I needed to do and to stop doing Mm -hmm. that would move me closer towards that hundred percent. And so I think you have to tell people that are going to not co-sign on your BS will actually say, I, I believe you. And so what's the next thing? What's your next step? And, and then you actually have to do it, right? Because self-awareness creates this illusion of transformation. Mm. Just because you know something to be true about yourself doesn't mean anything unless you actually do something about it. And so if you know you're playing small, own it. You got to tell somebody about it that's going to believe you. And then you actually have to start doing some things differently in order to get different results. All tough <laughs> it is but you know what it's also tough to play small mm. i think that's the thing that's the rub in all of this right is like i think a lot of times we talk about transformation and tr- and change and like doing new things as like th- it's really hard but it's also really hard to play small it's hard to like go to sleep at night and realize you're leaving stuff on the field it's hard to to like wake up in the morning and know that your voice isn't being used. It's hard to like go to work and know that you are not contributing at your fullest. That's really hard. And, and so I think you have to choose your heart. And at the end of the day, I actually think this question has been changing my life this year. And the question is, what if it's easy? 
we frame way too much around this is going to be hard. And I think it keeps us from living into the potential. I think it keeps us from making the decision. I think it keeps us from our whole self. And so like, I, I just keep asking myself, what if it's easy, April? What if this transformation journey is easy? What if, what if building a million dollar company is easy? What if transformation in your own life is easy? What if, what if surrender is easy? What if it's easy, then we don't opt out of it quite as easily. Yeah. Such a good question. Reframing that question. I think that's a lot of that transformation process is even just reframing, you know, I, you know, it's obviously we've probably all heard it, right? Like, um, you know, is it not what if it fails, but what if it actually doesn't, I mean, what if it works? Like what if it, yeah, what if yeah. it works, right? Reframing that yeah. question, you know? So, um, you know, one thing I know you're really passionate about is self-care, um, you know, even part of your, your company's why and vision is, you know, whole life living and really embracing all of that. And so, uh, you, you've kind of broken down into these six dimensions. And so I'd love for us to spend a little bit of time, talk about those dimensions. What are they? And kind of unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah. So we've defined really like our mission is, um, all about wholeness. How do we become our whole self? How do we live into the whole person that we've been created to be? And I think that, I believe that wholeness is not a goal. It's not a destination. It's not something that we ever arrive at. Wholeness is really a lifelong journey. And it is about integrating every part of your life and leadership and fully living into your potential. I think that's what wholeness is. It's, a, it's an integration. It's an alignment. Um, there's a completeness. Actually, the re root word for wholeness is healing. So it's like taking us back to that whole person that we've been created to be. And, um, but I also know like creating some de definition and framework around like, okay, how does wholeness actually look like, or what does it look like then? And like, where do we go with all of that is helpful. So we have um, broke it down into six different dimensions. Like you mentioned, um, physical, emotional, mental, relational, spiritual, and renewal. And it is, in that order, actually, that we coach women and men, um, but women in our coaching groups through wholeness. Um, so we start with physical um, because your body and our physical life is the foundation to your wholeness. That wholeness begins in our bodies. And, you know, this is the vehicle by which we live and move and have our being like we are spiritual beings, but we are living in this physical body. And without it, we cease to exist. <laughs> and so we start with physical because our wholeness begins there. Um, so we say like our physical wholeness, it starts with sleep. It is fueled by food and it's maximized by movement. Mm. It's pretty simple, um, but it's also like you said, there's a lot of difficulty to that and women in particular, but I think men in different ways have received a lot of really toxic messages about our bodies and about how we are to, how we are to be embodied, how we are to move throughout this world in this flesh and blood thing that we've got going on. How do we do that? Well, um, women, we, we have a wholeness assessment that people participate in um, before they start coaching and physical is one of the two lowest score dimensions by women wow. almost to a person. Um, so we've got some, we've got a lot of work to do around how do we care for our bodies? How do we honor them? How do we listen to them? Um, I told you before we hopped on this call, I, I'm in another, I'm in another whole like 
level dimension um, learning around how I do that with my own body, uh, with some challenges that I've had health-wise this last month. And it has like really made me double down on what practices do I need to start, stop, or tweak Mm -hmm. in order to care for my body well. Like what was working before is not working right now. And but I, I believe that like our bodies have been created to heal and to repair themselves and to function at their highest level. And so we really are passionate about helping women to like come back to themselves in that physical way. So we start there. Yeah. Um, well, I love what you, you two things. One, you, you say your body is constantly revealing what is going on inside of you. Yeah. Um, and I love what you talked about there, which was that even currently right now, Mm -hmm. um, going through some health things that it's, it's an ongoing process Yeah, that Mm -hmm. you're kind Mm -hmm. of always evaluating that. And it's not just like you said, like, Oh, I've arrived at this point, but it's always evolving and changing and and adapting. And so having those tools Mm -hmm. to one, evaluate it. And then two, having, um, the ability to know how to make those changes. So that's good. I love that you start there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important again for men and women in different ways, but like for women with our cycles, like every 28 ish days, like there's a very, there's a very different hormonal cycle that takes Mm. place. And then you've got everything from, you know, puberty to being a young woman and childbearing ages to having children potentially, or menopause and beyond that. Like there's so many changes that take place in our bodies, specifically for women, differently for men, but there are some comfortable comparisons and we can't put it on autopilot. I was just telling a girlfriend yesterday, like if we think that we can put anything on autopilot, we are not moving closer toward wholeness. Like we are not becoming our whole self because it takes that kind of attention and deliberateness to become and live into this potential and God-given stuff. So so, yeah, we, we have to begin there and we've got to, and we've got to keep anchoring back into it. You know, like how's our sleep, what's going on with our, our nutrition, our food, like how are we moving our bodies to the fullest capacity that it's able to. And I just think like when we expand what's, what's happening there, every other dimension kind of comes to life in a different way. So, well, cool. um, emotional, should we go there? Yep. You want me to we go these? Okay. I'll go these a little bit quicker. Um, so emotional is, um, I love, I love this dimension because. A lot of us, I think, especially if we were raised in faith environments, have been taught that our emotions don't matter as much as our thoughts. Mm. And I would strongly disagree with that. Um, the research all points back to, the science points back to how we are primarily emotional beings and we, our behaviors are activated by our emotions. Um, but the average human can only identify three emotions in themselves and others in the exact time that they are experiencing and feeling them. Three. Wow. Any guesses what those three emotions are? Uh, anger, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Happy, sad, angry. Mm. The average human can only identify those three emotions for themselves and another human being in real time. That's literally what we teach our toddlers, right? Like we teach a three and four year old, like, how are you feeling right now? And they'd be like, happy, sad, mad. Like that's what we teach toddlers. And yet for even adults, like we don't grow in our emotional intelligence beyond those three. 
but the consequences of not being able to identify your own emotions or other people's is really consequential. And our emotional intelligence is actually the highest predictor of success in our work and in our relationships. So we take a deep dive into how do we do that? How do we increase our emotional wholeness? How do we become more emotionally aware, emotionally intelligent, um, uh, deepen or, or lengthen our emotional range so that we can more fully live into who we've been created? Um, mental is really huge. Uh, I think mindset is everything. <laughs> so our mental wholeness is more around like your thoughts, your creativity, your curiosity, your problem solving. Um, how do you think about things? What do you believe to be true? Which is a lot of a lot of mindset work is around the beliefs that you have about yourself or others in the world. And when it comes to like our thoughts, this is wild. I don't know if you know this or not. Well, I'll, I'll just give you a little, I'll give you a test, a little quiz, pop quiz. What percentage of our thoughts do you think are unconscious or subconscious? Oh, that's a good one. Um unconscious versus conscious i'd say probably gosh I, I, it's got to be massive our unconscious i would imagine like 80 percent or something crazy like that yeah between 80 and 90 percent our thoughts are unconscious or subconscious we are not even aware of what it is that we are thinking do you so know how many thoughts not, the average human has on a daily basis is like six thousand or something like that 60 to eighty thousand. that was close <laughs> Maybe it's less for you, Ryan. I don't know. So, okay, when you're saying when you're saying subconscious, are that is that like that? Is that not even like the thoughts that where you're like talking to yourself? Is that conscious? Correct. That is a conscious thought. So yeah. that's still conscious. So you're saying that there's eighty to ninety percent that's not even the like self talk. It's the like we don't even we're not even aware necessarily. Yeah, yeah. There's oh. complete unawareness. It is there, and most of those two are repetitive. So it's the things that we just think about ourselves, others in the world. That's like the, it's like the, the background noise that is impacting our emotions, impacting our actions, impacting our relationships to a very large degree. So part of our work is really to increase our awareness of the things that we are thinking so that our thoughts can be transformed, right? That's my favorite verse of scripture is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Like we can be transformed through the renewal of our minds. So the renewing of our mind, taking every thought captive is incredibly important work. But most of us are very unaware of the things that we are thinking. And, and it's just, it's, it's creating the life that we have for better, for worse. And if it's not what we want, that's some really valuable work for us to do. So, so where do those unconscious thoughts even come from? Is that just like Britain? Like where, 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 where does that even gain there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, there's a couple of different kind of buckets, I would say. One is unprocessed experiences. Mm. And so it's almost like your computer, right? Like when we're talking on Zoom right now um, or some something, and um, in the background of our computer is all of this stuff that's running that is allowing us to have this conversation and allowing the computer and the interwebs and, you know, we're several states away from each other. All of that is still like operating in the background even though we're having this conversation. So I think our thoughts are a lot like that. Like it's, there, there are things that are kind of operating in the background that are, um, that have been unprocessed. We're unaware of them. I, one of the phrases that I use a lot in coaching is our bodies travel by plane, but our souls travel by camel. And I think that a lot of our thoughts are these 
camel-ish things, like stuff that has happened, ways, ways that we've experienced life, other people, circumstances, and they've just happened. And we haven't had the time, space, energy to process them. And so they just kind of go in the background and, and start to like work on our behalf. And like they form all of these, these beliefs around, you know, what, what does this person think about me? And, you know, what is this environment, is this environment safe for me? And is this the kind of place that's going to accept me? And so it's, they become like this operating system that we haven't like processed and, and brought out to like, is this actually serve me well to believe this, to think this, to, to view things accordingly? Does that answer your question? If we haven't, if we haven't consciously processed those, Mm -hmm. we probably aren't creating healthy, good versions of those thoughts. Yep. Yes. Oh, I'm a mess. Okay. I'd love to spend the next like six hours on this, but we got to move. We got to keep going. So relational is number four. That's the fourth dimension and relationships. I describe them as really the sisterhood and the partnerships that both anchor you and help you fly. So I think your relationships are going to, they're that, they're like that web of connection that is going to both anchor you, meaning like keep your ego in check, keep you like rooted and grounded, remind you of what matters most to you, um, call you on your bullshit, like all of that kind of stuff, but also to help you fly. So they are, these are the relationships that are going, you can do it. Like mm-hmm. go for it. You, your thoughts are getting in the way. <laughs> you, you're writing yourself out of an opportunity before you actually even take it. They're the ones that are like kind of pushing you off the ledge or, you know, put like the Holy Grail and Indiana Jones, like take that next step because like the, the step will appear for you, like keep going. So the relationship piece, I think one of the most important and valuable things that we walk our, our groups through is that the five people who are closest to you will determine your life. So the degree to which those people are supportive or not will create the actual life that you live. So when you take, even take it back to earlier in the conversation, when you asked about playing small, um, if you are playing small, the people that are around you are probably enabling you to play small. Oh. So you might need some new people. Um, there's, yeah, there's a lot more that I think we can give it wow. to, but. So good. Relationships are huge. We're huge. I mean, we're creative for relationship. One of the things that I say all the time is that transformation happens better together. We belong together and we belong to one another. And so we need those kinds of people that are going to like go, let's go, let's do it. Change the world, change yourself. <laughs> like, let's be who we've been created to be. And I, those kinds of people, like I actually have a picture in my next to my desk right here. This is my birthday party last year my closest girlfriends in town who could make it for the evening. And I keep that picture on my desk here of those six women. And they're like, this is the sisterhood for me that is doing that. That is going like, let's go like stop holding back, like go for it. You know, don't Mm -hmm. play small kicking my butt. So uh, relational number four, uh, fifth dimension is spiritual. Um, And So spiritual is actually the reason why it's towards the end is because wholeness, like at a, at a foundational level at like a, a living and breathing and like just functioning on the planet, it's, it starts with physical, 
but then it moves towards what is most meaningful. And that is, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like mm. we can't live without meaning and value and a sense of purpose. Um, but unless our like basic needs are being met and like we are, we're just operating with breath and food and shelter, like that stuff doesn't even get to be as, as much realized. So we, I mean, we talk about spiritual primarily through that lens around like connection to God and to purpose and to a sense of, of value and contribution in the world. And how is it that you are, you're living into that? Um, if, if there's, if there's not a connection there, like you feel like you're kind of floating in the universe, you know, and you're not actually making a difference. Yep. So spiritual is your, is, is our world, but um, yeah, we, we try to talk about it a little bit differently so that there can be some fresh eyes around it. Um, and then we wrap up with renewal. So again, like it's really intentional that we wrap with renewal because renewal is about um, avoiding burnout and increasing energy. So I would actually say I'm not passionate about self-care. I'm really passionate about self-leadership. Mm. And I'm really passionate about soul care. I think self-care is is pretty surfacey. It's like bubble baths and pedicures and you know, reading by the pool. Um I, and I I just I think that that is it's a really band-aid approach to a much deeper need that we have, which is to have fully energized lives that don't move us toward burnout, like avoiding that to all degrees. And so renewal is, is the way to do that, but we have to lead ourselves into that. Um, so self, we might do some self-care things in order to like be fun and whatever, but it's, it's wow. not the solution to actually avoiding burnout and increasing energy. Is that why you say uh, self-care is not renewal? Yes. So just taking a bubble bath is not renewal. No, it's so temporary. Mm. It's just temporary. And I think that like we do these, we do those really surfacey temporary things because one, we see it on the social worlds and it's like, oh, that's what we're supposed to do. So we'll try it. Um, but I also think like to really identify what is energizing and de-energizing, who is energizing and de-energizing is more deliberate work. Mm. And then you actually get, like you said earlier, you actually have to do something about that. The knowledge of that doesn't do anything. So if I know that certain things or people are de-energizing to me, but it's 75% of my world of my day, a bubble bath is going to do jack to solve that. <laughs> Because you're, all you're doing is going right back into what's de-energizing. And there's not, a, there are not enough bubble baths in the world to actually then bring renewal. It's right. It's, it's so true. It's so true. All right. So change gears here. I want to wrap up with this thought of, you know, you spent a lot of time um, helping women become warriors and find that renewal, um, energize, um, how, how is it that men can partner with women to, 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 again, you, you talk about it's, 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 a, it's that partnership, right? So how can men partner with women to help them be and see themselves as warriors? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's a couple of things that are like low hanging fruit. 
Um, one is, and I'll answer it in terms of like both at home and at work. Okay. Sure. So at home, I would say men, you need to do a lot more. Almost all of the research and studies show that even if a, a woman works outside of the, even if both partners work outside of the home, women are doing the vast majority of emotional labor and physical labor within the home. So renewal, that's why we're like desperate for a bubble bath. Cause it's like, it, it, it is like the, the quickest thing that's going to like, it's like taking a, like taking an energy shot, right? Like, it's like, I just need something as a quick pick me up. And I, so I get that. There's no shame in that. I'm not trying to, yeah. I'm not trying to eliminate that altogether. I'm just saying like, it, that's not a solution. So like men, we really need you to like book the doctor appointments and do the dishes and make the dinners and meal plan and take the, pick up kids up from school. And, and the things that like make the home function, all of the research is still pointing in 2023 that women are doing a disproportionate amount of emotional labor and household management. And I just think like, if you want to partner better and have a better relationship with your spouse, that is like the lowest hanging fruit is show up differently in your home. And um, side note, we embed sexual and financial into all six dimensions because they are tapped into in all of those. And my favorite sexologist is Dr. Celeste Holbrook. And she says that the number one reason why women don't want to have sex is because of responsibility. And so like, hello, if you want to change that, like we need to lower the responsibility that women are feeling 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's going to be some benefit there for everyone. Wow. So there's that part. On the work side of things, I think partnership wise, um, a couple of things. If you are someone who has like women on your team, whether they are direct reports or they're just their coworkers, um, I think men, again, statistically research wise, have so much more access to money and to opportunities for their development. And um, it's part of the reason that we are doing what we're doing is to provide space for women to have development. Um, to have coaching to become more of their whole selves. So pay for it. Find the, the dollars in the budget, reallocate it as necessary, subsidize it, like give women opportunities to be able to be developed in equal or even disproportionately toward women. Because if we're going to like do some reconciliation and restoration of some wrongs here, there has to be really a disproportionate effort, like in the opposite direction there. So pay for women to get some coaching, get some therapy, you know, get some time at a conference so that they can actually expand. Um, I think that those are the two lowest hanging fruit potentials, but um, we actually have a, a series on our website uh, that we did during Women's History Month around like, what are ways for men to, to do this better, to partner better with us? So um, that could be a resource that we could tap back to. That's awesome. So good. If we could talk all day, um, but uh, unfortunately, our time is up. But um, for those of you that want to get a hold of April and you know, kind of connect, April, what, what's a good way for them to stay connected with you or to reach out to you get to get get connected? Yeah, azerandco.com uh, is is probably the best place to start. Uh, we've got a weekly email that we send out and we also have separate emails that we send specifically to the men on our list. We've got over 20% of our email list is men, um, which is really great because they want to do better. They want to partner with women. And so you can do that. Uh, our social, we're active on um, Instagram and Facebook, but at Azer and Co is our Instagram. 
and you can find us on Facebook the same way. So yeah, those are probably the best places. Oh, so good. Um, love what you're doing um, and excited for people to get a hold of this conversation. And uh, just thank you so much for your time. Um, and I want to thank you guys for listening and watching uh, for the Pastors Roundtable podcast. And we're excited to bring you another episode here shortly. Thanks, April.